You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Josh Layla is a professional cricketer who has represented New South Wales, various Big Bash League clubs and, more recently, relished a stint playing in the Caribbean Premier League. The past decade has been a dynamic and fast-moving experience, juggling a cricket career, work career and a young family. Having twice been delisted from the New South Wales contract list, Josh has had to maintain resilience in the face of adversity. More recently, Josh has managed the shift from full-time cricketer full-time work. Whilst providing hurdles, a strong perspective and family support has helped Josh through the change. Josh joins us virtually for this latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Right, Josh, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Hi, mate. Thanks very much for having me. I've listened to a couple of episodes and I'm pretty excited to, to have a chat and see where it takes us. For you, Josh, you described to me that one of the successes for you uh, has been having a great family. And I think that's a reflection of your um, humble, selfless and, and welcoming nature. And we'll touch a, a little bit more on that later on. You grew up in St. Clair, which is a suburb in the Penrith area, west of Sydney. What was your childhood like growing up in Western Sydney? Um, what I would think is pretty generic, um, like a, a middle-class type of family growing up. Um, dad was a painter. Mum was like an admin lady for Com- Commonwealth Bank for a, a number of years and then um, did another, a few other bits and pieces in small businesses, you know, over, over the two decades that I basically lived at home. But, um, yeah, very, very loving family, an older brother and a younger brother as well. Um, grew up in St. Clair, went to, went to school there at Banks Public School, but what I would imagine is a pretty generic uh, upbringing for someone from, from Western Sydney. Lots of sport. And, yeah, definitely. And, and for you, family is incredibly important, both you know, your young family now and also your family growing up. What role did the family have growing up for you? What influence did they have on your upbringing? Uh, just very, very supportive. And I don't mean that in a way of like they're your biggest fans, which I think most parents certainly are, but there was just no obstacles in the way for me to be able to do anything. So, um, as I said, growing up in Western Sydney, middle-class family, they're certainly not, um, you know, cash rich, I'd imagine. But um, anytime there was a tournament that I needed to go away to or a tour for anything, mum and dad always made it work, which, you know, um, was incredibly supportive of me as a young cricketer, as a young person. You don't appreciate the kind of things that they um, were doing to get you away on those types of trips. So, that's just one example of how, I guess, any time there was an opportunity, they made it happen and allowed me to progress. And I think, um, as you know, when you look through pyramids in any um, profession, there's a lot of people that start them at the bottom and not many people that get to the top. And I think it's your friends and family at the start that allow you to, to navigate through the, all the difficulties at the bottom. And I certainly was very lucky to have um, the utmost support from those guys. And for you... You know, both at school and, and outside of school, was there an element of freedom and an element of play that um, your life revolved around? Um, yeah, I think having 
an older and a younger brother that sort of again my older brother was five years older than me and my younger brother was five years younger so being the middle of the two there was always someone when the youngest one was too young I was still able to play with the older one when the older one got too cool the younger one was sort of old enough to play a game so I was probably lucky in that I got to you know play as you say or be in that element of freedom and playing for such a long period of time with those guys but um, uh, and even at school remember hanging out with kids that had very similar interests to what I did and played in similar soccer teams and cricket teams to what I did outside of school. So it was just that element of play or that freedom, I think, was just always around. And um, our parents talk about how times were different when you let your kids roam the streets, um, you know, in the 60s and 70s. And I think we still, guys and girls of our age, I think, still benefited from that um, even more. So we were able to go out and ride our bikes all around St. Clair till you know, until dark and then come home and no one would ask any questions. So, um, again, very lucky in those instances. And you touched on it before that, you know, sport is at the heartbeat of Penrith and Western Sydney as well. How did sport impact on your uh, early childhood growing up? Uh, well, I think it's all it was, really. Um, I think I was lucky that I was an inquisitive kid that allowed me to take an interest in education, sort of the older that I got. But and have an appreciation for it. But sport was it. Like, that was what you did any spare second you got. We had, we spent, you know, the majority of my young life at St. Mary's Indoor Cricket Centre when my dad played, uh, played cricket for them, played social cricket for, like, in the, in the centre a couple of nights a week. And so did I. And so did my brother, my younger brother, when he was old enough. So it was just always around, um, as well as soccer and a couple of other sports. So... Yeah, it's not how did it fit or how did it how did you make it work or I guess what role did it play? It was the only role that was what you did. And were there any particular sports outside of cricket that drew your attention? Um, I played soccer as a young kid, um, about the same age that I started playing cricket. I think I played for two or three seasons um, when I was a bit younger and a bit a bit faster. Played on the wing, um, but never really had a passion for it. And even now as a, as a mad sports fan as I am, soccer still doesn't um, appeal to me as much as some others. But um, no, that was pretty much it. It was mostly just cricket for a long period of time until I got quite a bit older and started admiring, I guess, some other sports like um, that we'll probably get into down the line, but AFL and NFL and some other uh, sports such as those. And for you growing up watching your dad uh, play cricket indoor and outdoor is very handy opening Yeah. Up. Yeah, a few times against Miles, <laughs> whacked them all around the park. What was it about cricket that drew you in? Was it, um, you know, the competition? Was it the ability to perform? Was it the community? What stood out to you? I think, I don't know is the answer at the time. It's almost, again, it's just something you, you just did because. But my wife and I have conversations about that all the time, about how um, August... My son, we were, he's 20, 21 months old or 22 months old. And last week, we were flicking through the channels looking for something to watch during COVID. Um, there's not much on, certainly not any live sport. And there was a, a bit of cricket that must have popped on the TV for 30 seconds as we were flicking through. Then about a minute later, August starts going, cricket, cricket. And we were like, what's that? And he was like, cricket, cricket. And we we're like, there's no cricket on the TV. And then we just realised that we must have flicked past the channel that he paid attention to. And we've been very conscious not to sort of force him into any avenues with his sport. So we don't want him just to love cricket because I love cricket. He, gets, he will be able to choose whatever he wants to do down the line. 
and I think that's similar for oh sorry what we're conscious of is that we don't want to be seen to take too much of an interest in anything so then he's sort of um naturally linked to it I guess is uh, I'll probably say that in a better way but um my dad loved it and my mum was supportive of my dad and therefore because I saw that my dad had a keen interest in it I must have felt like something that was important in his life and then you it becomes important in yours almost does that make sense yeah it does um, and we'll, we'll touch more on I guess fatherhood later on for you <laughs> but how, how do you go about that then as a professional cricketer not showing too much of an interest in kind of directing August down that path because obviously he sees that a lot is exposed to that a lot that must be a balance in itself it is and it's just something we're conscious of so we're, we're really conscious of allowing him to um, be able to choose his own path you know, if he grows up and doesn't even take an interest in sport, takes an interest in other things, that's fine as well. But we're conscious of, um, like, sometimes, like, if this was AFL season and it'd be on 10 hours on the weekend, so he sort of wouldn't have an opportunity for it to be around it. But it's just not saying, you know, let's go out the back and kick a footy or let's go back and, um, I, God love my mum and dad, every time I go to pick him up on Wednesday, they're like, oh, well, he's, he's batting right-handed, he's batting left-handed, he's bowling the ball. And it's like, okay, well, there are other sports in the world you could also get him to participate in. So we're just conscious of not um, overdoing it, I guess. And back to back to your upbringing, Josh. Yep. Um, you attended Westfield Sports High School uh, in Southwest Sydney. Uh, how was that experience for you um, as a teenager? Um, good. Um, excellent. I think there was a bit of a, a mystique, uh, um, and maybe from the outside, the school is seen as this like sports haven. But there has it's very much like a normal um, a normal public high school, and it has its challenges, I guess, um, with facilities and space. I guess you think a sports high school would have, you know, fields as far as the eye could see and specialist facilities and things like that, but. Um, certainly they were above average, but it, um, from the, I guess the best advantage was just being allowed to have that extra time to train was one. Um, so you had to train two days a week. Um, but the biggest advantage that I took out of it was being around people that won a lot, um, and having an expectation of succeeding from a, a young age. And I think that's something that, um, I don't know. I feel like you can run into people that are fairly uh, decent away along their cricket career. I'll use cricket as an example, but people might be able to apply it to their own experiences a fair way along their career. And if they haven't had a lot of success, it's hard for the, it's hard to teach that at a, at a semi amateur level or an amateur level when people are trying to turn professional. So that's something that I certainly took away is that you had an expectation to win um, and that you learned how to win from tricky situations and things like that coaches knew the players developed that over time and that's something you can certainly take through your career was that element of success and competitiveness built into you before that though do you feel like you were born with that streak to to win and be successful and then this just enhanced uh, it no I, I wouldn't necessarily say that so when you get you've obviously got a trial to get to the school and to get into the school you have to be relatively skilled at what you do I guess but my rep team when I played rep cricket, junior rep cricket for Penrith, we probably won about half our games every year. We certainly weren't up there winning everything all the time. Our club team did pretty well, but a lot of club teams in any sport across the country do really well as well. So I wouldn't say that it was ingrained. Maybe maybe when you bring a team full of people that 
as you said, are born with maybe that or have developed that extra bit of passion and competitiveness um, that happens naturally. But I, I wouldn't say that it was, uh, I, would, I would give the credit to the school in that, in that instance that you won and you won from interesting situations and those experiences, I guess, are invaluable. Was there a time during that high school experience where you thought, you know what, I'm the, I'm the next star, I'm the next, um, the next fast bowler who's going to join the production line of the Australian cricket team? Or was it still quite a, a grounding and humbling experience being there? No, you play with players that are excellent. So Usman Kawaja, who was a year above us at school, wasn't, wasn't perceived to be the best player even in his year at school, which is unfathomable now. And certainly as, we got, as he got to the back end of year 12 and started playing first grade cricket and doing really well, he wasn't, wasn't far away from getting a professional contract. But year 8, 9, 10, there were another group of kids that thought they were elite um, and that was just it. So, yeah, you're very much just a cog in the wall. Uh, or sorry, a brick in the wall or a cog in the machine because there are other talented players around you. And maybe that's just my perception. Maybe other players certainly thought they were going to be the next big thing. But being around a lot of other good cricketers, you can't help but feel like any one of you could be good in the long run. You just have to see how it goes. And were you still attending Westfield Sports High School when you made your first grade debut at the Penrith Cricket Club? Yeah, well, that's a great question, John. I reckon I was right at the end, yeah, year 12. So, And were you feeling, I guess, again, the pressure component? Were you feeling the pressure from school that you almost had to perform? Because you're going to the sports high school. Do you have to carry this to your, your club's success? Club um, no, I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't agree with that either. Um, I saw them as two very different spaces, really. Um, I treated my playing for Penrith Cricket Club very separate to representative cricket at school or representative cricket for underage stuff for New South Wales as well. Um, always felt like I had uh, a closer bond or an excellent connection with the grade club, you know, starting at fifth grade as a 15-year-old right the way through. So I guess that was probably my the area where I put most of my attention probably even over my New South Wales under 17s and under 19s stuff to be honest when I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case today or even in other sports I think the representative honours certainly take um, precedence over club stuff. And Josh post school what direction did you head in and why? Uh, it was really important for me to want to go and do some study. So um, I went and did, went to what is now Western Sydney University or the University of Western Sydney back in the old days um, and started a bachelor's degree. I managed to sneak off to England as well for, for six, months, uh, six months, which is something that um, cricketers from Australia are often luckily enough to experience. So I ducked over to, to Oxford for six months, um, but yeah, also kicked off a Bachelor of Business degree from Western Sydney University. So still, uh, and I guess that's probably a theme of my career even to this day, where my post-playing career or my professional career and my playing career are very much side by side. At no point have they ever really gotten too far away from each other. And was that time, just touching on your travel to the UK, was that um, an experience that you, you felt you benefited from? Did you take a lot away from, you know, being away from home as a youngster? That can be quite daunting at times. Yes, absolutely. Um, very, very daunting moving to um, a little 
in a little, you know, country English town, 20 minutes outside of Oxford, but I was very fortunate to have two excellent um, house, or well, three excellent housemates, but two that were a couple, uh, mum and dad, Bucky and Anna, who I lived with, um, who were great people that sort of looked after me tremendously throughout that period and helped me grow a lot um, whilst I was away from home as well. So I think from the time that I came to the time that I left, I think I'd learned a hell of a lot. Um, and it certainly, you know, helped me jump straight back into uni when I got home. And certainly my cricket took some huge leaps off the back of that as well. So I was very thankful for that experience and for those people. When August uh, is, is around that age, you know, yes. it's been 18 years, Tom, will you be encouraging him to, to go travel and, and see the world? Um, Post-COVID-19, maybe not. Uh, no, definitely. Um, it's something that... I'm not a I'm not a uh, someone that you know has the countdown on their Facebook page 472 days until my next holiday. But um, certainly, I very much pro travel, pro, pro experiencing, pro new anything, new opportunities, new experiences, new people. Um, just help you develop and evolve so much. Um, not that they take you down a different tangent, but I just think they help you grow as a person more as like a circle growing out rather than maybe a, a map where you've got to choose one direction or the other. And I think the more that you can interact with different, have different experiences and interact with different people, you learn much more about yourself and your own environment. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. You described to me that your cricket career... You've made the most out of a challenging situation, but it's still going. How old were you when you you first got your New South Wales contract, and what was that experience like? Uh, I was nineteen, I believe. Um, I just the previous year I had I made the New South Wales under nineteen team, but I was not enjoying my cricket at all and had a really bad tournament when I was away with New South Wales. So I was not a million miles away from giving cricket away. And then, but again, it was tied to your personalities, tied to my identity. So, roll back around the following season, playing for Penrith, which is something that I love to do. I made my first grade debut the year before and had a lot of friends to play with. So, it's looking forward to playing another season after a trying one the year before. I managed to have um, a really good season for a, relatively for a guy that hadn't played much first grade, grade cricket before and was fortunate enough to, to make my second 11 debut right at the end of that season. And then get the phone call from the former CEO, Dave Gilbert, to, to offer me a contract. And that was, I still remember the phone call to the day. I was sitting in my bedroom, strange number, gave me a call. Had no idea who it was. Had no idea who Dave Gilbert was even. Um, but got the call and um, was absolutely chuffed because I know more so that, you know, playing a little bit with guys from Penrith, I admired 
the guys that had played for them and I, I knew their records and how well they played and the amount of success they'd had in first grade cricket, but there was barely a professional cricketer amongst them. So I sort of appreciated that for me to get that opportunity um, was a really special one and I sort of owed it as much to, to those guys in the club and all the people that had played recently to, to give it a decent crack as well. And how was that day one? You, you rock up to, I'm guessing, Moore Park, the Sydney Cricket yep. Ground, and there must have been a, a plethora of international, national players floating around at that time. Uh, it's a great question. I can't actually, I can't remember day one. I, I really struggled to remember the first few years of my career, to be honest. But I do remember that um, I didn't know any of the other rookies, really. I played under-19 cricket with one of the other rookies, and but didn't really know too many of them. So we were, we tried to get together as a bit of a clique and, uh, and hang out together. There was always a natural segregation, I guess, between the experienced guys and the new guys is sort of what I remember feeling. So, but there were, I don't know. I just, again, without it sounding a bit strange, like right now, I know guys that do really well and I appreciate guys, the longevity of people that have played first grade cricket and done well for a number of years. But at that time I was just so, ignorant or so uh, fresh face to it all that um, yes I appreciated appreciated the international players but Grant Lambert was standing in the room and I knew he was a good player but I didn't I don't have the context now that I do have a player like that in his career or, or Greg Mayo I knew they were good players and I knew that they probably weren't quite playing for New South Wales as much as what they should but I look back now and realize the amount of time and energy and effort and success those guys have had I would have shitting myself in, had I known that stuff at the time but I, I guess I was just a bit young and ignorant so and the first time wearing the baggy blue in Sheffield Shield cricket describe what that was like for you and, and what were the emotions that came with it it was interesting so uh, I'm trying to think back to exactly what that felt like wearing the baggy blue for the first time it's obviously something you'd worked for for a long time and I was probably I'd been contracted for two years and then I was delisted for a year and then it was the season after I was delisted that I sort of made my way back into the frame. I wasn't contracted at the time. So I made my debut off contract with the team. Um, so I was really proud of the, the amount of work that I'd put in and the success that I'd had at grade level. But you never actually think that you're ready. Or I certainly felt like that. Other people might be different. But I never actually thought that I was ready until you get out there and it's someone throws you the ball and like, are you going to open the bowling today? And it's like, are you sure you want me to open them? I'm making my debut. I'm not even, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the wise thing. Like, no, no, we want you to open the ball, open the new ball and, you know, swing it around X, Y, Z. So I guess you just, and I, it still happens to this day. You're sort of standing at the top of the mark with your ball in the hand and you're like, am I meant to be here? And it's like, well, it's too late now. You can't just walk off the field and give the ball back. So you just got to go out there and do your best and hope everything goes your way. So um, we were really lucky. We had a rain-affected win against WA at the SCG. Um, but I was fortunate enough to make my debut uh, with Curtis Patterson at the same time and Tim Vandergooten um, also on the same game. So, um, again, I wasn't sort of the only guy on debut. I got to share that experience with a few other people. And, and as a lot of people know, Curtis made a big debut 100 as well as a 17, 18-year-old. Uh, yeah, 17 or 18-year-old. So there are some great memories there. It's interesting you touch on, I guess, the, the unease about being at the top of your mark with the new ball and, and not necessarily thinking you're the guy because that it almost contradicts the, the mentality that was built up 
you know, through high school years around success and competitiveness. Do you think that's more a reflection of, I guess, your humble nature more so than maybe the nerves setting in? Maybe the humbleness and just, I do have a heightened sense of awareness almost to the point of overthinking. So um, although I'm, although it feels a little bit unnatural, like I, I tell this story occasionally to people, like when I first started playing cricket and when I made rep cricket from like under 10s and under 11s, I was a batsman. And that's, it's like when you learn someone's, when you learn someone's name, but you learn it wrong. So you might meet two people at the same time and they introduce themselves and you remember their names, but you attach the name to the other person. It's really hard to break that because that was your first, well, that's what you registered their name as in your head. And that's what cricket is like for me. I, even now, two years of playing as a batsman, it's ingrained as me that when I took the ball in rep cricket as a 12-year-old as, as a spare option and I started bowling okay, that for the last 20 years, that still isn't what's most natural, if that makes sense. So um, there's this awareness that it doesn't feel natural, but in the back of my mind, I know that um, I've I've run this race before, whatever happens, whatever happens to this ball, whatever happens this over, I've had other experiences that are going to help me navigate through that. It's almost like you go into overdrive at that point. And I think that's something that professional, professional anything's do is that um, at some point, natural instinct just takes over and your experiences just run you through the, uh, your past experiences just run you through this one. Um, but when you stop and consciously think about it, yeah, it's, it's a bit like, I'm not sure that this is supernatural, but hey, and that heightened sense of self-awareness um, and of the environment that you're in and of yourself, is that something that has grown as you've, you know, I guess, developed your cricket career or is that something you remember having even as a youngster? Uh, I think I was always inquisitive um, and I'll probably thank mum and dad for blossoming, blossoming that in me somehow. I know my older brother was also very inquisitive as well. Um, and I think that's just something that's developed over time. It's certainly not consciously. I think I'm what most people refer to as a classic overthinker and all my friends and family will say that. So, um, But as you get older and the, com- the problems you face are a little bit more complex or the world that you're in is a little bit more complex, I think that just lends itself to a little bit more uh, complex thinking as well. Josh, you referenced uh, to me one of the challenging situations you've faced was having been delisted twice. Um, yep. You already touched on from New South Wales. How, how did that chat go with, with your family? You know, when you, you get that the notice, you've had the meeting that, you know, we're not renewing your contract, there's nothing there next year. Yep. How, how does that affect your ego and how, do, how do you deliver that message back to your family? What wasn't very good. The first time that it happened, I was still quite young, again, and a little bit ignorant. And I know you come back to the, at school, did you think you were going to be the next big thing? Even as a professional cricketer for the first two years, you didn't think you were going to be the next big thing. So you sort of have an understanding of where you're at and I wasn't quite at that level just yet. So very disappointing, but um, again, you appreciate that you've got to get better. If you, what's the saying? Don't get bitter, get better. Certainly the first time round. The second time round, Danielle and I had just built our house that we're in at the moment. Um, We're probably in there for six months um, with a debt hanging over us and got a call from Cricket New South Wales originally saying you were contracted and then I got a call the next day and they said um, actually we're, we're going to try and get this other player you we're going to have to delist you um, and that was a bit uh, obviously disappointing but then you get off the phone and you look around at this nice new house that you just do it and realize that um, 
it's not just your ego that takes a hit, but you've also got to worry about, you know, how you're placed financially and what you're going to do from a career point of view. So um, I think those things are certainly challenging, but um, I was pretty lucky that I wasn't always in the bubble. I spoke about earlier that um, my post-playing career and my playing career was sort of never too far away. And I always knew that I wasn't Brett Lee and that at some point my career was going to end. So I was always looking at ways to share my interests and not be just caught up in the cricket bubble. So I was pretty lucky. You're obviously very disappointed and you think you deserve another opportunity and all of those things. But um, I don't think it hit me quite as hard as it can hit some other people maybe who who are more invested or um, heart and soul set on this is all they want to be in their life. And was it a surprise for you? Do you feel like you were, you were still bowling well, you're still taking wickets, or, or it was the writing on the wall in the lead-up to the um, discussion? Again, being an overthinker, you, you naturally ask questions. So it wasn't a surprise. Did I think they were wrong? Absolutely. And I guess that comes back to that, um, that what you spoke about earlier about something being ingrained in you. You're, you do think you're capable to do the job, although you may have some self-doubts at times here and there. I don't think anyone would ever say, oh, actually, I'm incapable of doing this. And even even now, I feel like there are, there are times when I'm bowling really, really well and could fantasise about getting back into first-class cricket. But um, not long after we had those conversations with Cricket New South Wales and sort of my first-class career came to an end, I could agree with the direction that they wanted to go in. Uh, sorry, I could see their reasoning. And as long as I can see your reasoning, that's fine. I don't have to think you're right, but if it's logical and it's understandable, then I, I can appreciate that. That's, it's Unfortunately, it, it's not just my job on the line, it's theirs on the line too. So if they want to make that decision, well, they've got to look after themselves as well. I guess at the same time as all this happening, Josh, we've seen the, the exponential rise of 2020 cricket and specifically the, the Big Bash League. Um, we've had the opportunity to play um, at four clubs across the BBL and also more recently have a stint in the Caribbean Premier League. What has 2020 cricket provided to you? An incredible amount of opportunities to A, extend my career and B, to continue to learn about the game. Um, so although I was around professional cricket for a long time with Cricket New South Wales, I played uh, a dozen Shield games and a couple of one days in that time. So not as much playing experience as what I would like. I travelled a lot. I was the 12th man for a hell of a lot of games. So I was certainly around the team and around games. But 2020 cricket has allowed me to, A, get out of New South Wales. I played a bit in Brisbane. As you said, played uh, a little bit in the Caribbean Premier League and just learn off so many other people. Sort of coincides with my theories about travelling before. More people, more experiences. Um, and obviously a lot more a lot more games. I've probably played 35, 40 BBL matches since my first class cricket career ended with New South Wales. So it's a lot more playing experience as well. So I, I would tell people that I learn as much um, in two or three seasons at the Brisbane Heat with Brendan McCullum, Shane Bond and Daniel Vittori as I learned in 10 years with Cricket New South Wales just from a... Uh, it's a little bit like you don't know what you don't know. So I was always in one system and it was a very similar line of thinking a lot of the time. And then just to to walk into a team and hear people talk about cricket differently, guys that from New Zealand cricket who have had to do, they've had to pro solve the same uh, different problems in different ways, smaller population base, less first-class cricket, less players. How have they had to problem solve to be successful in international cricket and brought a lot of that thinking 
to the Brisbane Heat and it was just a tremendous opportunity for me. And I, I try to say that to as many of the other guys who are at Cricket New South Wales at the moment. If there's an opportunity throughout the Big Bash to, to get somewhere else and to learn, um, take it with both hands because um, you're always going to get your local knowledge, but you might be missing or doing and in, in, in injustice to yourself not to take those opportunities to continue to learn about cricket from other people. And was that experience playing alongside you, you reference those three uh, black cat players and three legends yep. of the game. Did that have an impact on your perspective in life outside of cricket as well? Um, uh, it would have uh, probably a bit hard to think of how so on the spot, but certainly um, I think what it did is it certainly, like you said, these guys that we spoke about were legends of the game and their values and their morals and the way they behaved and the way that they were family orientated and also celebrated and things. Um, I think it uh, reinforced a lot of, I guess, a lot of beliefs that I'd already had. Um, as you could imagine, being a young professional athlete, you grow up and there's different different lines of um, fun you can have. You know, you can be the person that goes out to 3am but still manages to roll out on the cricket field the next day and perform. Or there are guys that are a bit more quiet and humble, like your Dan Vittorius is an extremely humble, bright, intellectual guy. Um, likes to have a drink every now and then as well. And then Bondi, who's similar in that he's very analytical. Um, I guess it just justified to me that there's different ways that you can go about life and the game of cricket that sort of all still lead you to the same to the same point which is success and being comfortable in your skin and comfortable in the environment you're in and for you josh 2020 it's it is a very different format to to the other two traditional formats do you think your deep thinking style suits the game in the instance that every single ball matters in 2020 cricket so when you are at the top of your mark you know that you have to have a plan for that specific delivery. Has that suited your style, having to be very, very tactical and, I guess, more situational than traditional cricket? Yeah, I think um, uh, I'm not from a without. Not every listener that listens to the podcast is going to be a cricket person, so I'll try to keep it brief. But uh, if you look at most fast bowlers, and that's something that I try to do, they're six foot tall or well above six three, six four, and they bowl fast. They bowl one hundred and forty five kilometers an hour. They've got a lot of other attributes going for them. I'm five ten, five eleven on a good day, and bowl about one hundred and thirty five kilometers an hour. So, um, first class cricket and the ability to to get in a contest was uh, a little bit more challenging to me, given my natural abilities. Therefore, I had to be a lot more creative um, with how or skillful, I guess, had to be a lot more skillful. Um, 2020 is a game, as you said, every ball presents a different a different opportunity or a different challenge, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, and the ability to be skillful and execute what is required at that point is probably something that suited not only my way of thinking, but also my abilities. If I was six foot four and bowled bouncy out swinging at 145 kilometres an hour, I'd be playing for Australia and 2020 cricket wouldn't seem as interesting to me. So... Um, I think it was probably a bit, a bit of um, nature. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media.
For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Moving away from cricket, yes, you know, you've referenced, your, I guess, your non-playing career um, as a work in progress, but an opportunity to take it in any direction. Again, I think a reflection of your optimistic um, <laughs> and positive nature. How have you managed that transition over the past couple of years? Because, again, for those who are listening who are non-cricketers, for three to four months of the year, you're um, an out-and-out professional cricketer, but for the rest of the, the year, you are, you are working your nine till five. How have you managed that transition? Uh, it's been very challenging, to be honest, um, but nothing that can't be overcome, right? Given, again, given the circumstances that the world's in at the moment, it's been a walk in the park compared to that. But uh, it's been difficult. Uh, and I think it's picking your poison at, at each time. I think my first year that I tried to do it, I tried to be a professional cricketer for 11 months of the year and train like that, as well as giving all my time and energy to my career as, as I could. And it just can't be done. You find yourself going through fits and spurts of different things at different times and you sort of up and down and lose momentum and gain momentum. So um, right now, I guess I'm in what I would call my dormant phase from a training point of view, um, which sort of ends in, it culminates in an Easter eating binge. Um, and then we sort of kick off, get it back into some normality of training for the next six months. And then maybe the last two or three months right before Big Bash will get very specific and get back to training like a professional through the two months maybe before I'm required to play. Um, but yeah, for the first few years, it was really challenging. Very lucky to have, you know, again, very supporting wife, very supporting family that um, put up with my bouncing around energy and motivations and ideas to try and make it all work. Um, those guys have certainly been excellent in allowing me to, to try and make it all work. But I think after three or four years now, I've sort of settled on trying to balance the two. And have you felt like, I guess, calling it a day from a cricket perspective and just kind of drawing a line in the sand and saying, all right, that part of my life is done, I'm moving in a new direction? Or are you still driven by, you know, having ball in hand, being out there in front of the crowds, and even if it is for three months of the year? Um, I think continue. I'll continue along both opportunities until one says that the other can't exist. So if my cricket was to go absolutely gangbusters and take off and you could, someone says, you know, we want you to travel around the world and we'll pay you $2 million to play 2020 cricket. Well, that's something you've got to consider or vice versa. If there was an opportunity career-wise that says this is a, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the stage of your career that you're at, then that's something that you'd have to listen to as well. So um, I think ultimately for me, it's about having those options until one says you can't have the other one. Um, and I'm super open to that. And I think I've always tried to be honest with people about that, that um, I think it's healthy to have both as well. I think it's great for me, certainly from a professional point of view, to continue to have those professional cricket experiences, to meet new people, to make new connections, to learn about cricket in the world and how to approach cricket and life um, and vice versa. Um, I think working has allowed me to keep super balanced and has allowed me, I guess, not to get, uh, ground down by cricket too much by the time the big bash rounds, rolls around I'm quite refreshed and really driven to do well for the teams that I'm playing in at that time because 
I'm not playing for a state and another team and this team and that team. It's pretty much just whichever Big Bash team I'm signed up for is my, my number one team and I'm worried about making that team as, as good as possible. And for you, Josh, you're very um, curious in your nature, as you said, and, and very, very deep thinker. Are there any kind of, um, I guess, philosophies that you choose to live by? Um, you, the example you just gave then is, to a degree, you, you're happy to leave it up to fate in terms of where your career goes. It, it, what happens, happens. Are there any kind of philosophies that you like to, to live by each day? Um, it's a very good question, John. Uh, not too many. Um, I guess natural instincts are that I like to, personally, I like to have my options open, which means putting yourself in positions where you're not ever sort of backed into a corner, which uh, without going into too much detail, I have fanciful ideas of, you know, buying a new house and renovating it and doing all those kinds of things. But then that sort of puts you in a bit of a financial pinch where you're sort of stuck there and you don't have those options. So maybe it's better to just keep some money in the bank and always have other options open. It's the same with my um, playing career and non-playing career. So I guess the biggest opportunity for me is just to keep, uh, sorry, the biggest um, philosophy I try to live by is just to keep your options open um, and let sort of fate and, and right time, right place, right person, right conversation sort of um, allow you to take those opportunities when they come. And I, um, there were some opportunities uh, throughout the early stage of my cricket career and my professional career, which I didn't take, that have maybe forced me uh, to have that philosophy, which I'm only now realising on the podcast. So that's interesting self-reflection there. <laughs> And, and just touching on that and not at all meaning to be, a, I guess, yeah. a psychologist, but do you find that, like, your, your deep thinking nature, where you like to think things through, but do you feel that you can then get to a point where you go, what happens, happens, it is what it is, because you've considered? Yes. Was, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, my wife hates me because I stand in the KFC line or the McDonald's line or whatever line, clothes stores for too long, um, because it when you're considering all the options at some point, you actually forget to jump off and make a decision. And you and I have had a conversation conversations around this origin, um, sorry, recently, but um, yeah, at some point you've got to know that whatever decision you make, you've made with the best intentions to do as much information as you can. And also like I spoke about before in regards to the cricket and not, not feeling like, you know, an opening bowler, you can also make the comp, uh, also make the decision knowing well that, whatever is going to come down the road, you're going to have experiences that are going to help you navigate through that, even if it's not ideal. So yeah, I'll probably leave it at that. But I don't, if you're, if you're looking at opportunities or things like, oh, I don't know if it's going to work out that way. it's like, well, you've probably got the requisite skills to handle whatever's coming down the road, I would think. And for you, Josh, touching on, on fatherhood, you listed to me the one challenge is mm. being a good dad. Why, why is that listed as a challenge for you? Oh, I just think I, I personally want to provide the best, um, best opportunities or the greatest opportunities for August to, again, have just opportunity. I want to provide a, a lifestyle for him to have opportunities as well so he doesn't have to you know, only only know cricket because that was all, all that was ever taught to him or um, oh, what's another example, not be able to travel when he's young because, you know, X, Y, Z, it's about trying to provide a life for him and it's not just 
things or it's, it's not just things or sport it's it's life like I don't want him to feel like he didn't get the education that he could have had because mum and dad weren't never read to him or anything like that so it goes pretty deep but it's a very I think it's a lot easier for my wife but for me it has to be very conscious about just trying to be a good dad and just because I know again at some point he's just going to grow up the way he grows up right it's 25 years down the line he's just going to be the person that he is and you did your best but in the in the time it's like oh man I just hope I'm doing a good job I hope I'm, I'm doing as much as I can to to make sure that he gets to be who he wants to be and he doesn't sort of just have have to end up being whatever was given to him it's an interesting point because you, you chat to I guess a lot of fathers similar age to you and there is a I guess an element of, of insecurity. There's no practice or training that you can do for yes for fatherhood. Is is it the same kind of feeling that you have standing here as an opening bowler? Where you, part of you is like, hang on, am I the like, am I the right? Am I meant to be yes. in this position? Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, yeah, it's sort of that. Oh, there's a little bit of self doubt here. I'm not actually sure whether I'm necessarily the best person for the job here. But um, again, I know that whatever will be will be and we're going to be able to handle what comes down the road yeah there's probably actually a lot of similarities between the two and how have your priorities shifted in the past say three or four years josh uh a lot yeah yeah so um one thing that i tried i've been having some conversations um through through work recently with the current playing group at cricket new south wales male and female and it's about that idea around current career transition out of sport and one of the things I speak to them about is you're going to love the people around you a lot more than what you did before because when you're in the bubble well when I was in the bubble and I'm sure it's a way this way for a lot of young athletes or young professionals you're really selfish and it's sort of an okay thing people sort of let it go by because you need to be driven and you need to be focused on your own training and and those things come first and other things you know you can count I couldn't count on both hands the amount of weddings I've missed, you know, through playing cricket over the years. But when all that stuff's gone, the people that are still left standing there, you've you've got to shift your energy away from yourself and you naturally start to put all that back into your relationships with your friends. And certainly for me, it's been my wife and, and my son, and that's been very rewarding as as we've just spoken about. It brings with with its with naturally brings with it a lot of challenges, but um yeah, the line I've been saying to the boys and the girls is you're going to love your partner a lot more than what you did before because you're just not putting as much time and effort into yourself. And are you more energised in that regard now? Obviously, there's a few sleepless nights with a little one, but yes, bigger picture, are you more energised now spending that time with friends and families than you were, say, spending your time travelling with a, with a cricket team? Yeah, I, th- I would say that it's a better... You're certainly in a better headspace because um, you you're just so self-absorbed and like I used the term a few times, being caught in the bubble at the end of the day, uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? So my close group of friends and family care about how I go with cricket. Uh, Some of their friends and family might care a little bit about how I go with cricket, but certainly one group on from that, no one cares. So no one really cares outside the bubble about what I do. And I've appreciated that a lot more sort of since I've stopped playing, I guess, full time. Um, and it's been a really healthy shift away from a mindset point of view. And I wish I was that well-rounded sort of whilst I was still playing full-time would have helped a lot more. But um, unfortunately, it's, you can't always have those. You can't have your cake and eat it too, right? Oh, yeah, that's a great point. And I'll pose the question to you. Do you think that 
professional athletes can have both the professional career and that healthy mindset? Or do you feel like there is that element of, of sacrifice and a bit of selfishness that comes with, with any athlete in, in the top of their game? Well, I think the, the very final point of what you said there is the crux of it, right? The, the top of your game. Um, I guess the education around, there's probably got to be a lot more research done into how many athletes can be professional athletes and how many athletes can be Michael Jordan. Because at the moment, I think a lot of people are trying to be Steve Smith, Michael Jordan, those types, which requires enormous, you know, lifelong commitment to your craft, but it's a very small percentage of professional athletes. So do do you jump off at some point and say, I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to be, you know, throw X NBA player who's played for 10 years, but is, you know, he's not Michael Jordan, right? Like he, that guy could have probably had a better life work balance or a career, a professional career and a non-professional career sort of developing at the same time. But um, one thing about all the super, super elite athletes that you hear about is their devotion to their cause and their craft and their commitment. And, and for those people, it's hard to develop both. Um, and if you're trying to be one of those people, which a hell of a lot of athletes are, why would you put time into your post-playing career when you could be practicing your jump shot or your offload or your conversion or whatever that may be? And Josh, what are some of the choices you've made over your life that shape who you are? You know, not necessarily oh, sliding geez. doors moments, but just little, I guess, little approaches or things you've, you've turned down that, I guess, put you in the situation that you are today? The, the two that stand out that are sort of where I could imagine that I went on sort of a very different career progression were when I had just, well, my last year of uni or was two years through doing my business degree, Transport for New South Wales or whatever they were called back then were offering three internships in Sydney for something or other. God, it's 10, 12 years ago now. But I got quite a decent way away through the interview process with those guys, but um, worried that I may get the job and not know what that meant for cricket. I just stopped. I just didn't show up to like the last interview or whatever it was, right? So it doesn't mean that I might have been a successful applicant, but I remember doing really well in the process and going, uh, I'm not sure that I don't want to be a professional cricketer. And at that stage, I wasn't even. I was in and out of first, uh, in and out of, you know, New South Wales squads here and there. But I was sort of like, I'm not ready to completely jump off here. So that was one. And then the other one was one, a few years later when I was delisted, I was working in a call centre and got a call from Anthony Stewart, who was coaching, I think it was Wellington at the time in New Zealand. Is it Wellington? And he said, mate, we're all a bit, we're all out of fast bowlers over here. Um, all our quicks are injured. One of our guys just got suspended. Another one just got injured in the most recent game. I've just called Cricket New South Wales to ask if they've got anyone they can recommend. I think our first eleven, our Blues were playing somewhere, and our second eleven were playing somewhere. So I was the only, I was sort of the next guy up within New South Wales. He was like, "Do you want to come over and make your first class debut for Wellington?" And I hadn't played first class cricket at that point, and that was sort of the pinnacle, is what I was trying to get to. And you could imagine it being quite a big thing in my life, or if you're a rugby league player, like people talk about making your first grade debut. It's like this opportunity has been handed to me on a platter. I just needed to have a week off from the core centre to go over and fill in. And what a great opportunity. I might never get to play first class cricket again. So I spoke to my manager at the call centre 
And this is like the perfect bubble moment. He looked at me like I had four eyes and he was like, no, no, you're rusted on this day, this day, this day, this day. Like, and I was like, oh, sorry, maybe I haven't quite explained myself. Like, this is actually a little bit of a big deal for me. You know, played cricket for so long, I might never get to play in a first-class game again. And he, again, he's like, no, no, that's, that's not how it works. So I had to call Anthony Stewart and say, sorry, mate, I couldn't get time off. And, and that to me, I guess, at that time, I was probably 22, 23, it probably reprioritised to me that maybe uh, I've got to find a lifestyle that will allow me to continue to keep playing cricket because at the moment it looked like I, they were sort of making me pick one or the other. So there are a couple of things there that just came to mind where, you know, you don't know what could have come out of either of those opportunities or what they would have meant for me or not meant for me. But there were two instances that sort of, I guess, clarified my thinking and sort of nudged me back onto the path that I, I have ended up on, I guess. That's a great segue into to the next question. It revolves yep. around what we touched on earlier around fate. Is, do you believe that as a person you find yourself or do you create yourself in terms of is your path already laid out for you and you live it out or is the decisions you make shaping a, a new life for you each and every day? Yeah, no, you definitely, you definitely make it, I would say. Um, hopefully not offending anyone who thinks the other way, but... I would like to think that if I wanted to make it into something else, I could take a bit of time and energy and sort of, you know, that's still what I'm thinking about now. Like I'm still transitioning out of cricket into a, a professional career. Do I want it to be in sport? Do, do you want it to be in, you know, business? Do you want it to be in something completely different? Um, I'd like to think that given the time and energy, I could sort of make my own fate in, in those things and sort of lead myself down a new path. And if that's not the case, well, that's disappointing. Hard, hard, bit of pill to swallow, I guess. But now I'd like to think that you can certainly make it. I hope a lot of people think that way. Well, I think the the discussion we've had is a good good example of that. That there are going to be a number of decisions you, you face in your life, and it is up to you to, to make a decision, but to own that decision as well. I think that's probably the trap that people fall into is making a decision and, and thinking it's going to be up to someone else. But what has really resonated with me coming from you, Josh, is that you've got to be comfortable with that decision you make. Yes. It doesn't matter how long it's taken to, to make it as well. Yeah. And that that's where I always bring everything back to cricket, but being a bowler in 2020 cricket, everything's against you, right? And at the end of the day, you've got six decisions to make, say, and there's, it's not, it's not a hundred, one's right by a hundred percent and five are wrong. It's not a multiple choice. It's, one of them, it's a 40% chance of working out. One's 35, one's 30, one's 20, you know, whatever the numbers are. So you've got to try and come up with what is a slightly better option than the other one. And you've got to be comfortable with that, whatever the outcome is, because all you can do is say, these are the variables that are given to me now. A bit like life, this is what's laid out in front of me. This is the best decision I can make right now. And I've got to, I've got to know that whatever comes down the line, I, I made the best decision given the information at the time. Because if you look back with regret, then the next time you get put in that situation, it's going to be cards in the air. You're going to be completely left up to someone else's devices. And that's certainly something, you know, in 2020 cricket, and I imagine that in life that you want to avoid, you want to maintain some element of control where you can. Josh, have you taken the time, I guess more recently, to stop reflecting, kind of think, well, you know, that's been an incredible decade if not longer that you've lived you know you've traveled the world you've you've met some amazing people um wife house young son like have, have you had that chance to pause and stop and, and look back 
not as much as probably I should or that I would like to. Um, I often find myself, as you can imagine, looking forward. Like I very much am in a phase where I'm, I'm thinking about what do I want the next eight years to look like by the time I get to 40. Forget sometimes to look back, but I'm very, sometimes when I do catch myself in those moments, I'm just very appreciative of um, the experiences that I've had and where they've led me. Because at the moment, I'm very comfortable with the lay of the land and myself as a person, always wanting to improve and get better and to drive and lead new things and do exciting things. And again, had I not had been so fortunate to end up in this position, I might have my hands tied and be sort of stuck in a rut or whatever it is. So um, no, to answer your question, I haven't reflected as much as what I would like to have, but I am very, I do catch myself every now and then and, and realize that I am very fortunate. I've done some great things, but what's, you know, what is year 33, 34, 35 bring? Cause hopefully they're equally as exciting. And do you, do you know what's next for you? Um, you know, whether it's cricket, work, family, or again, are you keeping your options open? Uh, keeping my options open. So cricket's still going really well. Uh, work's going really well. Family's going really well, although challenging at times, as you could imagine. But at the moment, uh, there's lots of directions that we can go, which again, is probably a bit of a theme for this, is um, lucky enough to, to sort of see how a lot of the cards land and they'll point me in a particular direction, but I don't know exactly what's next, but um, certainly very aspirational um, and wanting to do really exciting things. And finally, Josh, do you have any advice for others out there in that kind of career transition piece? And I'm not just referring to, to cricketers here, but obviously the way society is that there's going to be a lot of people who are completely, I guess, realigning yeah. their life's yep. purpose and what they do with their time. What advice would you have for others who have faced that adversity and I guess had the, the rug pulled out from underneath them without expecting it? Uh, first piece of, bit of advice would make sure that Joshua Lola is not your sole piece of advice on anything ever. Um, so seek as much information as you can. But um, lean on those, lean on the people, again, lean on the people around you, lean on the people that know you best, um, probably not better than you know yourself because a lot of the time people can be the bit of the society that we're in, right? Or it's just human nature. People can get caught up in themselves and sometimes it's the people close to you that remember something that you don't know. Or remember this time when you went through that, you know, you had that experience and you handled it this way and you're like, oh, you know what? I completely forgot about that. That happens all the time when you're putting CVs together. My wife's like, remember that thing you did? It's like, no, I completely forgot. But you, you do know. So lean on the people around you because they know you best. Um, make sure you're you're putting time and energy back into them because that will ultimately help you as well. A bit of selfless selflessness, um, and then just be open, be completely open to whatever's out there because opportunities are always presenting themselves. Um, go and make them happen if you need to. Go and ask questions, speak to people to try and open up some opportunities. And if you're looking for them, things will come your way. Josh, a big, big thank you for being a part of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thank you for such a, an open and candid conversation and wishing you and the family all the best during these times, mate. Thank you very much, uh, Jono. Very nice to speak to you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by The Western Weekender. 